Well, good morning, Cedar Run Community Church. Whether you guys are online or live with us here today. Now, I feel kind of like Jonah with my little shriveled up bit of shade here today. I'm hiding under. I'm, no, I'm nowhere near as brave uh, as the band and Pastor David uh, and Jane when they do this. But hopefully I have a much better attitude uh, than Jonah. So go ahead, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Every time I move my leg, I get a little, little fuzz there. I'll have to stay perfectly still. Am I going to be able to pull that off? So go ahead, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, as Jane read for us, thank you, Jane. We'll be uh, parking it in uh, verses 1 to 11 today. Now, a lot of times when we think about uh, temptation, we're thinking things like, you know, I really shouldn't watch uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, I shouldn't listen to secular music. Uh, I don't want to cheat on my taxes or leave early from work. And one of our typical solutions uh, is, you know, I'm just going to like offset it with more Christian stuff. You know, I'm going to do another Bible study. I'm going to, you know, maybe get the latest book uh, from my favorite Christian author. Uh, and that is all stuff that we want you to do. That's all great stuff to do. But stopping there, I have one of those legs that shakes all the time. If I move closer, it would be better. So if we do, if we offset all of our temptation, am I on? All right. If we set off, uh, if we try to offset just our temptation with just, you know, more Christian stuff, which is good. We want you to do that. Those are all important things to do. Uh, but, but one of the problems is that by doing that, we stop, and it's kind of like mowing over weeds in your yard uh, without getting, uh, treating the source of the problem. So, th so we want to get to the roots. We want to treat the heart. So instead of just being a little bit disappointed and maybe throwing up a quick prayer for forgiveness— uh, how can we really just beat temptation from the heart? So this morning we'll be looking at the three temptations of Christ. We're going to kind of take a look at uh, the temptations that Satan throws at Jesus, Satan's playbook against humanity, so to speak. And then we're going to see how Jesus paved the way for us to triumph over temptation. So first the three temptations and then the triumph over temptations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here live and in person, Lord, gathering with your people, as it says in your word, Lord. I pray for your mercies, all of your technical mercies, Lord, uh, you know, for people's health here out in the heat, Lord, and uh, uh, that I'm not too shady in my shade online, Lord. Uh, we pray that you'd open our eyes, our ears, uh, and our hearts, Lord, so we could see, hear, and understand what it is uh, you would say to us today. So first, we're going to break down the three temptations that Christ gets fa uh, faced with. The first temptation is in verse 3. Uh, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So the first temptation really involves asking the question, What sustains you? Now Jesus is hungry here. But a lot of times, and most of the time in Northern Virginia, we're so blessed that we're really way past needing God to provide that loaf of sourdough uh, at Teeter. 
why are they always out of sourdough? You guys can laugh even though it's hot, okay? But if you think about bread, we're talking about sustenance. What is it that sustains you? And you can answer that by asking yourself a few questions. You know, what is it that gets you through the day? What is the dream that keeps you going? What if it were taken away from you right now would just make you lose your mind, get really angry, uh, or really depressed and despondent? And you can even check your prayer list. In fact, is your prayer like a list? Is it more like a wish list, or are you praying about things like your love and thankfulness for God more and more? Are you seeing that develop in your prayer life? Now, Jesus knows his Father in heaven is going to provide all of his basic needs. Jesus knows the angels will be ministering him right after this incident with Satan. He would say later in, in Matthew 8, uh, verse 20, that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He didn't even have a rented basement room in Franklin Farm. But he never obsessed about getting a three-car garage either. Here's his reply to Satan in verse 4. It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus is not going to be tempted to use his powers to focus and obsess on something that God naturally provides, that he can trust God for. And here are just six words out of Scripture that we should focus on and cling to that actually represent the whole goal of the Bible, the gospel, and they sum up where we can find our sustenance as Christians. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When Jesus gets baptized right before this, God's booming voice comes out from heaven and says this, You are loved. I am well pleased with you. You are my son. And that is where Jesus draws his identity and his strength against temptation from. So, Our temptation, though, is to find our sustenance, our worth in the bread. Instead of in God's love and acceptance through Jesus for us. So we've tied God's love for us to the bread. How much we have, how much we don't have. That God must not care about me if he doesn't give me X or if he doesn't give me fill in the blank. So we, put, we pin our sense of acceptance and self-worth on that instead of the fact that God loves us based on what Jesus did for us. And Satan goes right after that. He goes after the relationship. He goes after the relationship. Here's what he says. If you are the son of God. And you know, most of the time we fall for that. We fall into the temptation of finding our bread, our sustenance somewhere other than God. So we're going after the bread because we've forgotten that if we're a Christian, if you are a Christian, you are a son or daughter of God, and he is well pleased with you. So we, what we do is we end up binding uh, God's love and mercy and providence to having or wanting a certain kind of lifestyle. 
some kind of level of sustenance, a minimum, minimum level of sustenance for ourselves. So temptation doesn't just involve some awful thing uh, like watching porn or adultery or uh, whatever else you can think of, being a heroin addict, okay? It's taking anything other than God and making it our ultimate. To pursue it, to chase it, to own it with all of our power. And it turns good, regular, daily bread that God has freely promised us. And yes, we need it. But it's turned us from that bread into demanding meat. Jesus is riffing on Deuteronomy 8.3 here. Israel in the desert. He provides for all their needs. This bread's not enough. We want meat. So it becomes something we expend all of our energy in excess of our need. Because it's not good enough for the identity we've built for ourselves over and above and apart from the identity we have in Christ as a son or daughter of God. So that's the first temptation, putting our worth into the bread and then using your powers, using your gifts, using all your energy, trying to get more and more and more rather than quietly trusting God for what you have and remembering that he loves you as a son or daughter of God and that he is well pleased with you. Whether you have the basket with the extra Aussie rolls of sweet water or whether you have a crusty loaf of Wonder Bread. So that's the first temptation. The second temptation can be found in verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So once again, Satan's going to go after the relationship here. He challenges Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. What Satan is doing here is he's tempting Jesus to use his powers to save himself. So to fly around like the Avengers, born on the wings of eagles or Iron Man. But here's that's weird because Jesus would have to put himself in jeopardy intentionally to do that. He would have to intentionally throw himself off, put himself in harm's way. Why would he do that? Well, it's like a Christian. Knowing he or she is forgiven for all eternity for our sins. And then throwing ourselves down by going and living however we want. Because like he always does, Satan left out an important part of the scripture he was quoting to Jesus. The first part says this, that he will command his angels concerning you. Then the rest of the psalm reads that Satan left out to guard you in all your ways. What are Jesus' ways? Well, just complete and utter righteousness and obedience to God. Fully summed up by the commands, love God and love your neighbor. Now, if Jesus decided to live for himself, to throw himself down by ignoring, the, he'd be ignoring the plight of the very people he came to save. 
And it's at the same time when we live for ourselves, instead of love and obedience to God, instead of love to our neighbors, whom God has given us the smallest, tiniest role in saving by pointing them toward Jesus. When we're not living in Jesus' ways, which includes serving, because Jesus' ways are not just about self-piety. They're also about the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the immigrant. That means serving. When you throw yourself down as a Christian, what you're really doing is flaunting your salvation. Let me give you an example. Here's one way you, uh, you know you've officially thrown yourself down. When you get to the other side of that sin, whatever your sin is, and I've got more than one, I've got a bunch, okay? Going to that website, having that illicit flirtation, wherever your bread is, and after you've done your sin, it doesn't break your heart. You may throw up a pro forma prayer for forgiveness, but in the back of your mind, you're already planning for the next time. So even though it's broken Jesus' heart, there's no angst, there's no deep shame, there's no, how could I do this after what he's done for me? You've cheapened it. We, sh- when we, just, we just shrug our shoulders and we think to ourselves, hey, I'm going to heaven. It's not always as obvious as that, but it can be subtle too. So it's no big deal. I'm already going to heaven. So that's our second temptation. Last temptation of the morning is found in verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. This temptation is about power and influence. Because our pride causes us to love being respected, to love having influence, to be a God in our own right. And it's really just a twisting misuse of the image of God aspect where he's placed mankind over and above the rest of creation. We're twisting that. And a lot of times we find our worth in stuff like that. Just think it on a small scale. You don't have to be trying to rule the world, but just think of social media, the thrills of likes and follows or the soul-crushing defeat of nobody liking your selfie. But we begin to find our worth there instead of being in sons and daughters of God. Love not just by some content creator, but by the creator. Now in Satan's plan, Jesus would have got his blue verified Twitter checkmark He would have been labeled an influencer on Instagram. Make some money off of that, right? He could have moved right into Herod's palace. He could have won the Roman election and avoided cancel culture, all while ruling the world. But Jesus was secure enough in his father's love that he didn't have to grab power that way. He didn't have to seize it because he knew that all true righteous power came from his father, God, and it was all going to be his anyway. Satan's power, though, has a different dynamic than godly power. And what it does is disguises sin as the answer. And that's the place where real evil can come from. You've seen it in history. And you'll start hearing little phrases pop up. Here's some trigger phrases. The end justifies the means. 
We have to get into positions of power. We have to be elected so we can make society do what we think is right. Now, whether you're on the right or the left, that can be true. Now, of course, I like the Christian values better. But it's not the gospel if you're making people do them. You're, you're, and here's a way you know you're over-reliant on this power play and you're too wrapped up in the game. You find out that there's some horrible accusation against your opponent or somebody who's on the other side of the fence. And you find out it's not true and you're disappointed. Listen, Satan's way to power is to seize, it's to grab, it's to overpower, it's to steamroll. He'll say it's for a good cause. Well, we're meeting needs. We're putting things right. And sure, a few lives might be lost. Some freedoms might be curtailed. But that is not the way to redemption. It's just the way to more injustice and evil and oppression. Just under all new ownership. So what's the answer? How do I avoid these temptations, Blake? You know, uh, chasing the bread, throwing myself down, living however I want, and the power grab. That brings us to our last point. The triumph over temptation. How do we triumph over temptation? In Mark 5, 20, uh, Mark 5 verse 28, the woman says, if I could just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she sneaks up to Jesus and she grabs the hem of his cloak. Jesus immediately feels the power go out of him. Jesus' power is always going out. In order, in order for us to heal others, to bless our neighborhood, to bless our community, to fight oppression, to stand up for the weak, the impoverished, and the marginalized, you're going to have to let the power go out. That's how the gospel works. The power is always going out. We have to be weak because the only way to really pour yourself out and do the great works that Jesus did to give the bread away, to give your power away, your time away, your heart away. That's the only way to do it. Oh yeah, Blake? What does that have to do with temptation? Listen, Jesus could have used any of his spiritual powers during those three temptations. He could have used his powers to turn the stone into bread, to make himself fly around the temple and to rule the world. He could have used his powers for that stuff. That was the temptation, to use the powers for himself. In Avengers, there's these, these stones they're chasing around over several movies that have all this power in them. And Thanos has all the stones, and they each have these individual powers. And yes, I know, Thanos is the bad guy. But there is one stone. It's the Infinity Stone. I think it is, at least. And he overlays it with all the others. He puts it in the gauntlet, and it gives him this ultimate power. And he snaps his fingers, and billions die. Jesus has these powers he can use. He can get the bread. He can fly around the temple. He can become president. 
but he has one power that he overlays that trumps all the others. He dies. That's Jesus' ultimate power. Thanos snaps his fingers and billions die. Jesus dies and billions live. That's power going out. Power that never would have been there if he'd succumbed to the temptation to use it for himself. But Jesus doesn't get the nice rustic cabin and perfect sunset on Lake Anna like Thanos does. Jesus gets the cross. Unceremoniously tortured and murdered and done right quick too so the religious folks could get back to their traditions. The way to real power, Jesus says, I lose my life for you. I give up my power as God to become human. For us, the Bible calls that dying to self. You can take my rights, you can torture me, you can physically kill me, and that's what they did to Jesus. That's how he serves. And in that way, he offers redemption for the whole world. He gets true, ultimate power. Not just the kingdoms of the world, but heaven and earth, all by letting the power flow out of him on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this message really scares me. As I'm, as, I'm read, as I'm reading it and preaching it, Lord, and as I was studying, it just terrifies me, Heavenly Father. How can we learn to use our power for others? How can we learn to let it flow out rather than to use it for ourselves? What does that look like practically in my life as an individual, Lord? What does that practically look like to let the power flow out as a church, Lord, both a local church and the global church, Heavenly Father? How do I beat those temptations so I'm not short-circuiting the bigger picture, Lord? Heavenly Father, only you can change our heart, Lord. Let us ruminate on you, on your love and, and our thanksgiving for you, Lord. And the fact that we are sons and daughters, that is the only way we can do it, Lord. Knowing that all this other stuff doesn't matter because you love us as much as if we were the richest person in the world, the most powerful person in the world. And we can pass on those things, Heavenly Father, and we can serve the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.